Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Oh, good morning, everyone. Thank you. Um, i just here to introduce what we're doing this morning. Natalie's mentioned it briefly, but I was down to preach today, um, and I thought, I don't really want to write a whole sermon. <laughs> so I thought, let's, let's encourage others to do it as well. Um, and so we've got three of us sharing this morning. Um, it might feel a little disjointed at points, but that's okay. Um, we just, I thought it'd be good to just do something a bit different, uh, hear from different people that we might not normally hear from. Um, and so we're going to have David, who's going to come and speak to us first, and then he's going to give us a few questions to think about with the people around us, and then Debs is going to speak to us and give us a few more questions, and I'm just going to round it up together all at the end. So does that make sense? Yeah? Um, great. So I'm going to welcome David up. Um, David is going to come and bring us our first kind of section, split the, kind of split the passage down into three shorter sections. Um, and so David will be speaking about the first one. Thank you, Dan. Morning, everyone. Morning. Morning. Uh, for those that don't know me, uh, my name's David, Dave Morgan. Um, I have been associated with this church for uh, a number of years. I did Alpha here, um, and uh, I've been kind of switching between a couple of churches, but now I most definitely made this my home church, and I'm delighted to be talking to you today. Um, can I get a show of hands? From anyone here who has heard of these film titles, West Side Story, My Fair Lady, The King and I, yes, so quite a few have at least heard of the movies, but I wonder how many of you are willing to raise a hand because they remember the originals. Do we have the slide? Have we got a slide? There we go. So does anybody, sorry, did anybody remember the originals? I didn't see that many hands go, oh, yeah, there's just a, just a few. Well, they did have some very famous female actors in them and some that you might recall. So there was Natalie Wood, Aubrey Hepburn, and Deborah Carr. They were the acting stars who were clearly very different people in their own right. But they had one thing, well, at least one thing, in common. And that was a little-known woman called Marnie Nixon. We have slide two. You see, Marnie, born Margaret, was the unknown singing voice behind all of these iconic musical films and actors. Even if you weren't around back then, or don't want to own up to it. You will, I'm sure, have heard many of the classic songs from these films. And in almost every case, it is the voice of Marnie that you hear, and not, as you might have expected, the voices of these still, well, very talented actors. Marnie passed away in 2016, and her name was barely mentioned in magazines and articles in the music industry. She was spoken of on a few newspaper obituaries, but otherwise her contribution to music and film went largely unrecognized. 
And that challenges us, doesn't it? Recognition. We seem to have this inherent desire to be acknowledged, thanked, or even praised for what we've done. Sometimes, even when we've managed to do something in secret, we eventually can't help but tell at least one person, can we? Jesus, as is often the case, doesn't hold back his words in our passage and calls this kind of behaviour hypocritical. Those moments where we, we do something that on the surface looks like it's full of right motives, but underneath just becomes an opportunity to put the focus on us, to make us feel better about ourselves and what we've done. But what others see on the outside, Jesus sees on the inside. Jesus look and says, looks and says, okay, if you want reward from others for what you've done, go ahead. But that's all you're going to get. Hypocrites. Ouch. They're tough, but very truthful words. And you know, Jesus doesn't just tell us what we should do, he showed us. When he heals the man with leprosy, he says to that man, see you don't tell anyone. When he heals the blind and mute man, he says to him, see that no one knows about this. And when he raises the daughter of the synagogue leader from the dead, he says, she was just asleep kind of reducing his miracle to nothing and effectively saying, what, I just woke her up. So even Jesus, who is the only one who should be praised and recognized for his signs and wonders and for far greater things than anything you and I have ever done, even he did not want to be recognized for these acts of love and compassion in that way. In verses 16 to 18 of this passage in Matthew, he talks specifically about the act of fasting, something that requires us to also show that kind of self-discipline and restraint, not only in terms of what we might eat and drink, but also significantly about how we go about doing it. He tells us that it should be an act that simply comes from a heartfelt desire to get in right relationship with God and nobody else. To seek his presence, his choice of reward, and his alone. When we choose to fast, we should stop feeding our stomach so that we can fill up on Jesus. Not stop eating in order to fill up on personal pride. Or in other words, we should not just fast from food and drink, but we should fast from that personal recognition and give all thanks, praise and glory to God. Marnie Nixon was one who performed in the shadow of the actors in front of her. And likewise, as Christians, we are called to do our work in the shadow of the leading actor 
in our story of life. That's Jesus, of course. And if they made, a move, made, it, sorry, made that into a movie, then I guess they would call it the King of Kings and I. So what do we learn from this passage and some of the passages around it in Matthew chapter 6? So in finishing, I'd just like for us to take a moment to consider that with these two pretty simple statements and just to gather together in a couple, twos or threes and just think about these things and just ask yourself these questions. Fasting is about what to you? And fasting is not about what to you? Please discuss. (laughs) Thank you. Right. Thank you, David. Gosh, challenging questions for us, <laughs> but good, good to think about what uh, we're focusing on. Um, my name is Debs Jeffries, if I haven't met you before. I'm um, church warden here at uh, Greyfriars and New Hope, um, and sometimes I'm up at the front doing something different, but Dan wrote me into this this morning. Um, I wanted to look at three things that um, Jesus does in this passage for us. Um, He warns us, he instructs us, um, and he also shows us how well he knows us. Um, We were going away at half term, and um, I needed to get some clothes out of the loft. Clothes that I hadn't needed for two years, hadn't seen for that length of time. And I popped them in the wash, um, and only to find that when I was hanging them up on the um, washing line, that they had provided food for a whole host of moth families. They were riddled with holes everywhere. Um, and when I was reading this verse in Matthew, I was reminded of how annoyed I was when I found these holes. Um, but thankfully, they weren't my most prized possessions. They weren't my most prized outfit. Um, but in Jesus' day, uh, there were no banks or stock markets and nowhere to invest money or wealth. And instead, they would invest in garments that were really made with lovely, lavish materials, rare materials, and they were um, sort of well-decorated. And that's how you would accumulate wealth and you would show your wealth in all these garments. Um, So he refers there to um, Jesus' warning these people um, and warning us that it's foolish if we invest our time and our money in the things that are so easily destroyed. These moths get in and um, the clothes are destroyed. And he just highlights for us um, that they are temporary. And although they may feel like they give us some security, um, they bring us comfort maybe, some satisfaction, but they'll be gone Um, when we leave this earth. Um, And it's worth saying probably that Jesus is not condemning having wealth or nice things um, or being good providers for the people around us. But the danger he warns us of is if we spend our lives storing up um, those things which are susceptible to theft and destruction. Um, Jesus then follows this warning with an instruction for us of what we should do instead. He says, if you look at verse 20, that we should store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So he's asking us to focus on the things that will last for eternity, the rewards and the blessings that we receive when we get to be with our heavenly Father forever. But how do we build um, these heavenly treasures? 
And there's one point that Jesus is very clear um, when he tells us that giving to those in need builds up our treasures in heaven. If we look at Luke um, 12, verse um, 32 to 33, and um, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out and a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So he's very clear, and as ever, the path that Jesus points to is one of paradox, that the only treasures we get to keep um, are the ones that we give away. So when it comes to storing up treasures, the Bible doesn't only talk about how we handle money or wealth or possessions. There are also instructions about how we um, handle all our other resources, our time, our talents, our relationships. And our talents could include um, musical abilities, um, our creativity, teaching, administration. Um, and are all these things that we have being used to love our Lord God with all our heart, our souls, and our strength, and to loving our neighbor? Because when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, he says to us in Mark 12, um, 30 to 31, just find that. He says to us, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's really clear about the things that we can do um, to be sure that we're building up those heavenly treasures, the treasures that will last for eternity. Now, time is one of our most precious resources, um, and I was really challenged um, by a story, of, a testimony of a friend who realized that she was being governed by her to-do list, a long list of jobs, um, projects that she wanted to get through and achieve. And during her prayer time, she really felt God asking her to hand over her to-do list to him, and to let more of his priorities in, um, put her time towards the things that were really important to him. So whenever I set my heart on a plan of jobs and tasks and lists, I'm reminded of this. Are we using all our resources, including our time, our talents, and the relationships that we're building, to build up those heavenly treasures, to build up the things that are important to God, and the things that will last um, beyond this life, well into eternity. And finally, I want to just reflect on a wonderful truth um, about Jesus that this passage reveals. Um, he knows us. He knows us so well. He knows our tendencies, our temptations, our trials, and he knows um, that the things that we treasure have great power on our, over us. Our desires, the things that we value, our, our hearts, they're drawn like a magnet to the things that we treasure, and it's a great influence over us. And it may be that our career is something that we treasure. Maybe we have a hobby that we really treasure. It could be a particular person. It could be a place or the things. Maybe we've got a collection of something that we really um, prize or a, 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 an object. What are the things that we truly treasure? Because those are the things that will draw our hearts. Those are the things that will have influence on us, over us. 
And yes, we have to earn money, we have to use money, we have to have food, shelter, transportation, and function. Um, and it, we can have nice things, we can um, save money. But it's what's going on in our hearts. Where is our heart? Our hearts ought to be controlled by the heavenly treasures, the spiritual blessings which can't be touched by the moth, the rust, or the robber. Now, I'm, for one, am very, very thankful that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to help us deal with these matters of the heart, um, to help us to be able to keep our focus on the heavenly treasures uh, rather than the earthly. So I'd like to um, ask you to, to break into groups of two or three, like we've just done earlier, and two questions um, which hopefully will come up on the slide too to think about. If you want to think about this on your own um, and do some business with God, please do do that as well. Um, or if you'd like to share um, with one another. So think about how we use our money, our possessions, our time and our talents. And what do you feel this reveals about our attitude to them and the things that we truly value? That's the first question. Second question is what changes would you like and the Holy Spirit to bring about in your heart so that you can store up your treasures in heaven rather than on earth. So I'll give you a few moments, have a think, let the Holy Spirit come reveal to you what God wants to say to each one of us this morning. Okay, hopefully you found this somewhat helpful, just hearing from a few different people, uh, a few different things. Um, I'm just going to kind of round things up with the last part of the passage. Um, it'd be really helpful if you had your Bible still open, um, because then you can see where we've been and where we're going um, and what's, what's left to cover, basically. Um, but as we move into our final section, I've got a very short activity for you to do. Um, and it's a bit weird, but I'd like you to find a partner, um, you know, someone that maybe you've been chatting to already. Um, so find a partner and face them, like just look at them, look towards them, okay? Um, so, yeah, 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 please now. Yes, that would be great. Yes, okay. Um, this is going to be a little bit strange, but that's all right. Um, and what I'd like you to do is look into one another's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so just, just hold eye contact for a second, for a few seconds. It's uncomfortable, isn't it, sometimes? Especially if you're with strangers. <laughs> There's something, something a little bit uncomfortable about that. Um, and very funny, apparently. <laughs> Do people have really funny eyes? <laughs> um, well, just to give you a little bit of context, that hopefully gives you a little bit of context to this last part of the passage that Jesus is talking about. Um, because in Jesus' day, they believed that the eyes were something like a window to the soul. So you could look into someone's eyes and see what's going on inside them. You could look into someone's eyes and you could tell what they were like as an individual. And so I'm just going to reread that last bit of the, set, the, last bit of the passage because when I first read this, I had no idea really what it was talking about. And then I thought I had an idea and I realized I had the wrong idea and so now hopefully we've got the right idea. Um, so it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, 
your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So eyes are lamps in these verses here. So I thought when I first started preparing, I was like, oh, okay, we're talking about food, that's consumption. Then we talk about possessions like consumerism. We're going along the, eye, the lines of what goes into our eyes, what we see and we, we consume with our eyes. And then I read the passage and then I read commentaries and I realized that was completely wrong because lamps shine outwards. Um, and so this isn't about the media that we consume. This is actually about the fact that Jesus is concerned with what's going on in the inside, and it's through the eyes that they talked about in their day um, that you could tell what's going on inside people. And so there's actually, Jesus is concerned with whether we are full of light or full of darkness, whether what is within us shines or whether it is just dead and empty. And, and Jesus goes on in the very next paragraph to put it as, who are you serving? You can only serve one master. Who are you serving? At the center of every decision that we make, at the, every word that we say, every thought that we think, what is driving that? Who is driving that? Who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to satisfy? Whose approval are we trying to gain? What is that light within us? Um, I heard a stat this week that blew my mind um, if someone in your postcode was to win the lottery, it increases your chances of going bankrupt by 6%. <laughs> and, the, and everyone else that lives in that postcode. Um, because what happens is they never, even if, so 85% of people that win the lottery keep it a secret, okay? So even if you never find out that they've won, that someone on your street has won the lottery, your chances of going bankrupt increases by 6%. Because what they do is they in inevitably buy a nicer car. Uh, it might not be a Ferrari, but it might be a, ni a nicer car. They, buy a, they make some home improvements. They go on nice holidays. They have some nicer phones and stuff. And that makes all the people around them think, I need to keep up. I need to, f I, I need to be the same. I need That's what everyone else is doing in my, in my street. So I need to also make that home improvement. And people keep buying and buying and doing and, and all of those things so that eventually a few extra people in the world end up in so much more debt trying to keep up with those that have won the lottery but kept it a secret that they end up going bankrupt. And that's just desperately sad but also shows us kind of some of the things that drive some of our world. There's a feeding of that, mo like, that monster or that master of money within our hearts um, of possessions, of, of even what people think of us, that self-approval, because that's what that is in that example, is that approval of the people around. What if, what if I don't have the same as the people around me? There's that sense of what, what that's what our master can be sometimes. And Jesus states clearly here that we can only have one master. But I think the reality is lots of us are freelancers. <laughs> We've got lots of masters where we go to this master when we're with this set of friends, or we want some sort of physical experience, so we go to this master, or we, um, we're, we're at work, we, we want to enhance our career, so we go to this master. And we just farm ourselves out to all of these different masters, and 
and we end up being freelancers with our lives rather than being completely and exclusively devoted to God. What or who is in our hearts? Who is it that's driving every factor, every decision that we make? And if we do what uh, Debs was talking about with our time, well, imagine we did that with every element of our life where we said to God, God, you're my master. Um, What shall I do with my money? We just sat down for a cup of tea with God one afternoon and said, God, uh, you're my master. What shall I do with my body? What shall I do with my time? What shall I do with my career? What should I do with my family? What should I do with my home? What should I do with my gifts that I've got? How revolutionary would that be for our lives? How much do you think our lives would change if we just sat down for a cup of tea with God and said, here is everything. What? What shall I do? Because I want you to be my master in all of these things. Um, and, and the fact that we, we can't do that, we struggle to do that, the fact that we have multiple masters is not new. This is actually the whole story of Scripture. The whole story of the Bible, of human history, is humans choosing the wrong master. That's what we see from the very beginning. It started in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were called to be simply loyal to God, to be exclusively loyal to him alone, to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they were deceived by the serpent. The food looked good to eat. It looked like it was going to satisfy their physical needs. They were tempted in, drawn in. It was promised wisdom that they would become more than they were. They weren't content with who they were, that they were going to become like God. And they were drawn in by this master of wanting more, wanting to be satisfied, wanting something, wanting to be more. And all through the Bible, we see people making exactly the same choice. The Bible is not a story, like a storybook of heroes of faith. It's a story of people who have messed it up severely, people making bad choices, people following the wrong master, choosing to follow other gods, and yet God still sticking with them. That's the the story of the Bible. That's the story of human history. And then along comes Jesus, three quarters of the way through the Gospels. He keeps choosing the right master. He keeps choosing to be loyal, and then he finds himself in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane just before everything is about to go wrong for him, just before he's about to be betrayed, just before he's about to die. And yet in the garden, when he's faced with exactly the same choice that Adam and Eve had, in a very familiar surrounding, he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. You can see what his will is, what he, what he desires, yet not as I will but as you will. Jesus chooses, as he has done throughout his whole life, who his master is. Jesus has chosen for God to be his master, to be exclusive to the Lord. And through the power of his resurrection and the power of his Holy Spirit, he pours that kind of power into us and says, you now have the power to choose. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have kind of autonomy over those choices, over who our master is. We're no longer slaves to sin, 
but slaves to righteousness. We have the light that Jesus is talking about in this passage, the light of Christ living within us so that we won't spend our lives on these worthless masters who demand so much from us but give us so little. Instead, we have a God who gave us so much and just demands and asks for us in return. And so the question is, who is your master? Who are you going to choose to follow? As you walk out of this door today, as we finish church this morning, are we going to be filled with the light of Christ? Or are we going to continue to be freelancers that, that farm ourselves off to multiple masters? We've done lots of conversation um, with each other, but I think it's right that we pray um, so let's just, um, maybe for, if you stand with me, let's stand. It's just a posture of doing something different and, and the band are going to come up and all we're going to do, we've done the whole, whole kind of conversation with one another, but we just want to point upwards for a moment. We just want to be looking upwards with our hearts and being filled with God's spirit. And so, just for a moment, we're going to ask God to fill us with his light. Lord, we want the light within us to be light, not darkness. We're sorry for how we go our own way. We follow so many different masters and ways of living. And yet, we're thankful that you stand by us. Lord, we put our hope and our trust in so many other things. But we want you to be our master, our Lord, our God, our King. And so now, just as we wait, Lord, we wait for your spirit to come. For you to fill us with your spirit. That the chains of sin would be broken. and that you would be the first in our hearts.